0: Hi everyone, welcome to Ninada, the Waves of Music. I'm Chaitra and today I'm privileged to introduce to you the Veena couple, Jayashree and JT Jairaj Krishnan. Based in Chennai, they are, in my opinion, one of the best Vainikas currently living. And I'm not just saying that because I'm their student. Totally not name-dropping, by the way. But I'm saying this because when I first heard them play, I was completely enthralled. I met them through their longtime friend and Vainika, also my guru when I was in Pune, Goku Subramaniam. All three of them practice the Gayaki style of playing the veena. Gayaki means singer. So the aim is to play such that the sound emanating from the instrument is as close to the human voice as possible. And as you'll see in this episode, as Vainikas, we mean that more than any other instrumentalists do. Jai Shri and Jai Krishnan belong to the Shishya Parampara, or the disciple lineage, of Muttaswami Deekshitar, who is considered one of the holy trinities of Carnatic music. They are A great artists on the All India Radio, and they have performed all around the world. Today, I look forward to hearing their thoughts about music, the traditions of Carnatic music, and about the instrument that they and I hold close to our hearts, the Veena. Welcome to Ninada, The Waves of Music. I'm very happy to have you here and very excited to talk to you about Uh, all of the work you're doing. Uh, Thank you so much, Chaitra.
1: Uh,
2: It's a pleasure to be on your show.
0: Thank you. I don't think many of our listeners will even know what a veena is. So tell us more about the veena, uh, what it means to Carnatic musicians in general and Indian mythological roots and some some of the evolutionary things about the veena.
1: Sure. Uh, Sure. uh, To start with the structure of the veena, the is a 24-fretted uh, instrument, which is played um, horizontally, but there was also a time in which it used to be played vertically. Mm-hmm. So there are 24 frets. Uh, it's a seven-stringed instrument where uh, there are four main strings, and there are three strings on the side, which are the sympathetic uh, string strings. Mm-hmm. And the strings are fastened on both uh, sides. On the right-hand side, uh, you have the bigger uh, gourd, And on the left-hand side, you have the smaller gourd, which you put on your uh, thigh to play the instrument uh, horizontally. And uh, the very interesting feature of the structure of the instrument is the presence of the yali, as we call it. Mm -hmm. It's a sort of a dragon face, Mm -hmm. which is present on your left uh, side. And uh, these structures are face elements, which you find in temples and places of architectural importance and this is supposed to sort of the instrument as a whole spiritually speaking is supposed to be an embodiment or a sort of a representation of the kundalini yoga oh i i don't know what kundalini yoga is Uh, kundalini yoga is a sort of a yoga technique where you have the energy or the the prana flow from the Muladhara chakra through the various chakras in your body
0: mm-hmm. and it
1: reaches the, the head, the, fas- the Sahasrara chakra.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, there are various uh, methods of um, you know practicing the Kundalini Yoga. And this is sort of very subtly explained through the Veena as well. You know, uh, if you've noticed the structure of the Veena, it starts with this dragon face on your left and it ends with a lotus carved mm-hmm. on the right hand side, on the head of the uh, goad on the right hand side. Mm-hmm. So the lotus carving represents the thousand petal lotus that is the Sahasrara chakram, the topmost uh, chakram in the Kundalini Yoga. Mm-hmm. And then the left hand represents the, the lower rung of your energy level, which is the dragon face or which is you could call it a demon mm-hmm. or Something which symbolizes the lower energies of the body. This is purified as it goes upward through the various chakras of your body and it attains complete purification when it reaches the topmost chakra. I see. And the frequencies are also arranged in a way such that it goes lower Absolutely. And the other interesting aspect is this 24 fret, you know, the dandi as we call it, is likened to the vertebral column of the human body. Okay. So the 24 frets, you will also find the spacing of the frets in the dandi of the vena will be similar to the fret lengths, I mean the vertebra vertebra, vertebra lengths which are found on, your, uh, on the body of human beings. So it starts wider at the base and as you go upward, it becomes shorter. The length becomes shorter. So your Cervical vertebrae are the smallest in width compared to the lumbar and the sacral. So, the, the lowest fret is the widest in the Vena and the highest fret is the shortest. Very similar in structure to that of the human body. So, that is why it is considered to be so close to uh, the spiritual aspect of music. Mm-hmm. Because it is so similar in structure to your body Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: uh, in fact even in practice you can find this like when you're singing the lower octave swaras there's a vibration in a certain different part of your body which is the lower part
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like probably the in the navel or you know when you go higher up in the notes so sa has a different lower sa has a different vibration when you go to the pa you can feel a vibration in your chest when you go higher up and sing the highest sa, Mm -hmm. the vibration is on your face. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, you can actually practically experience this and it has been very beautifully brought about in the structure of uh, the Veena and that is why it is so close to the human body and if you are mimicking your vocal music on the Veena, that's the best thing uh, that you can possibly do. It's a very fast
2: concept, uh, Chaitra, very fascinating concept. But if you really go from an evolutionary perspective,
0: mm-hmm.
2: any stringed instrument is actually referred to as Veena.
0: Uh-huh.
2: So you had the ekatantra Veena, which used to be just a single string, which you would have those balls of Bengal, actually, you know, you, they use that. Yeah. That is also within the overall ambit of this definition called Veena. Mm-hmm. So you have the uh, single string, double string, three string. So it it actually evolved over a period of time, mm-hmm. and uh, the shape of the veena has also evolved over a period of time.
0: Yes, definitely.
2: Okay, so that is again. So it, it's got a very basically a very large connotation to the word veena because any stringed instrument actually falls within this overall definition of veena. Mm-hmm. The other important part of our uh, veena is, you know, in our music, one of the most important aspects of our music is called the cadence. Right. It's it's the trailing off of a sound at the end of your, you know, exercise.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Very gradual trailing off of the sound. And that has a very unique impact on the way you listen. Uh And this cadence aspect comes best out of a veena
1: and uh, if i can add uh, one more thing when you talk about the vocal and its relation to veena, i would say vocal music is represented graphically on the reading
2: wow. you want
1: an X- uh, x-axis and a y-axis and you want to draw how the graph went uh-huh. so you just play and play when you pull a string
0: horizontally
1: uh-huh. how, how far you have to pull, you pull, have pull to get to the other note how far you pull and then you Vertically, when you move your uh, fingers over the string, Mm -hmm. that is your x-axis. And when you pull, it's the y-axis.
0: So
1: It gives you a picture of uh, whatever you want to vocally uh, produce, whatever you're thinking of in your mind. That's very true.
0: And also, uh, coming from a physics perspective, I think one of the aspects that has always fascinated me about the Veena is that you know the Raman Research Institute in Bangalore was set up by uh, C.V. Raman and he actually wrote papers about it because his mother would play the veena and he was fascinated about the acoustics of the veena
2: yes absolutely
0: so you play the veena and it's a fantastic instrument coming from a very biased perspective that i play the veena too so why did you choose the veena specifically and uh, how did you even get started
1: with that um like most uh, south indian families where you have your child pursue some hobby or the other. And the first hobby is uh, obviously music. So your parents put you in a music class. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went to this uh, unique school where, uh, though Veena was the mainstay of that school, the initial lessons would always be vocal lessons. Mm -hmm. And then the teacher would, you know, decide whether you are, um, you have the, the inclination to take up veena seriously so in our case actually what happened is uh, as was the norm we you know started off with vocal classes and uh, for me particularly when i started learning music uh, that is vocal music i didn't go with the intention of uh, you know getting on to veena okay At the age of 4 and 5 you hardly think of uh, anything very seriously yeah. Just uh, you're a kid and you just do as your parents tell you to do. After about 2-3 years, it was uh, my guru who, you know, uh, decided or suggested. Or I should say decided, I shouldn't even say suggested. He said that, now <laughs> oh, you just take up the veena and you can play the veena now.
0: Yeah.
1: So that is how it uh, started in uh, my case. And um, yeah. we used to have a combination of vocal and veena classes. So they would complement each other. Mm -hmm. We went to the vocal class separately and the vena class separately. And it was uh, an um, amalgamation of uh, both uh, vocal and vena that uh, we learned. And finally, the output would uh, come across in the way in which you sing vocal on the vena.
2: And uh, in my case, it was a little more anecdotal because uh, My family and my guru's family, they have probably been knowing each other for a couple of generations. In fact, my guru and my father were classmates and they were playmates. So we would generally go to their house and uh, I was not exactly a very obedient child. So I would generally fiddle fiddle around with all the instruments and, you know, so it was a tough time for them to really manage me. And whenever I went to their house and my sister teacher, whom we call, who is also a guru, so she said if I were an obedient child, she promised me that she would teach me Veena at a certain stage in life.
0: Oh, wow.
2: So we just got drawn in because we probably, in both my case and Jaishree's case, we never had this pedigree of uh, Veena being played in the family or any of my that. My
1: aunt, uh, my paternal aunt.
2: Okay, she probably she played, played. But in my family, the there was no pedigree of people playing Veena, though there's a long history of people being involved very deeply in music.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's how it actually started for us. And as Jayshree said, you know, for the first two years of our musical journey, there was no question of any instrument. Mm-hmm. It had to be only vocal music. So we were like, it's like, you know, you go into a techno, uh, you know, IIT or something like that. The first two years is common and then you branch out or so something like that. We were all vocalists for the first two years. And then we actually branched out somebody continued as being a vocalist. Somebody went into violin. Somebody went into Vida. So we had that base which had to be created. That's why this Gayaki style also, you know, comes through. Because one needs to probably learn how to sing it before you play it.
0: Absolutely.
2: That's the, you know, foundation that we got. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. So you were also just trained by ear, right? You were never like, okay, so this is these are this is how to read music and this is how you play. You were just like, I'm going to listen to this. This is how I sing, and this is how I'm going to try and play it, the way I sing.
2: Absolutely. See, you you probably had the techniques that you had to learn to produce the way you sing. Mm-hmm. But as Sajesh, you would agree the techniques are to be used more as enablers rather than, uh, you know, being showcased on their own. Right. Okay, so you probably, most of your what you play has to make sense from a singing perspective. So you need to have that base, that technique in hand to ensure that the way you sing is the way you play. Yes.
1: That's it. I would like to just add one thing here you know uh, what is important uh, to uh, sort of analyze here is the fact that the gayaki ang is important that is the elements of the veena music which uh, are connected to vocal music like the alapana or the playing of a, a particular composition uh, is uh, has to mimic the way that you sing
0: mm-hmm. but
1: there are elements and attributes specific to the veena which can be played and demonstrated only on a veena.
0: Tell us more about the kind of experience you had, the kind of training you had, and how this changed uh, your understanding of music, and also how the fact that you have started teaching, how your music and your conception of music changed.
1: In those days, one, you know, very stark difference, which I can tell you, there are many, um they were very fastidious about the fact that we could not record a single thing in class. Oh. No recording.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Nothing. You only record in your mind. Yes. And um, they'll teach you as many times as you mm-hmm. would require to be taught. Mm-hmm. But then you could never record. But you didn't have in those, I'm talking about like 35, 40 years back, when you didn't have such sophisticated uh, instruments to do those recordings and But now that is a prerequisite. To have a recorder in classes become an essential prerequisite. So it becomes easier for students these days to come prepared for the next class. But what we did at that time, what I've learned at at my five years of age or at my 10 years of age or at 15, I remember even now, maybe because of that fact that uh, you know we weren't allowed to record we had to commit it to memory
0: you know same with me when i started learning we we wouldn't do any such thing we'd go to class learn there. we would repeat the same two lines for months and months over if required but no, no recording things so. that's right
2: absolutely <laughs> see the, the other thing is you know even i want to add this see even the technique of teaching has undergone a bit of a change okay
0: mm-hmm.
2: in the sense Today, you probably need to deal with your students differently than what it used to be earlier. In our times, I can tell you without any inhibition, the complete focus was on implicit obedience. So you would not question. If you played something and if your Guruji said it was wrong, it was wrong. If your Guruji said, this is how you need to play, this is what you need to practice at home, you don't think. You just go and do it.
0: Hmm.
2: It's not that, you know, people discouraged you from thinking because our music is all about innovation and composed music. So you have to think. Yeah. But what they, you would do is they would know that at a certain stage of your life, especially when you're very young,
0: mm-hmm.
2: there are certain things you may probably not comprehend.
0: Yeah.
2: So... It is built in you. So it is embedded in you. And as you grow in life, and even now when we teach our students, certain things that what we used to learn mm-hmm. start making more sense to us now than at what it did then.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. So we know, oh, okay, this is the reason why he told us to do it. Mm-hmm. This is the reason why he told us not to do it. In fact, till the age of 10 or 12, we were not allowed to listen to any music other than our music No concerts, nothing.
0: Because then you'd get conflating inputs about different styles.
2: Yes. So it's the paadandram, it's the gharana or whatever you say. It's the, you know, ensuring that you are learning the right things. You are not imbibing some of the things which in there, in our school, probably does not work. Mm-hmm. So you get to a stage where you are able to distinguish between this is good, but this is not our style. So we probably don't want to take this in our repertoire. Yeah. So till such time you get to that point of understanding what it is and understanding where you come from. Mm -hmm. If you are exposed to multiple things, Mm-hmm. then probably the, you know, the essence of what your school starts or what your school stands for somewhere gets diluted. So, I it was their strategy. So, for the first five, six, seven years, we would not listen to anything else other than ourselves. The first time I listened to the great maestro S. Balachandar was when I was 15. Wow. And I started learning from the age of maybe seven or eight. Hmm. So, that was another aspect of teaching, which is probably now it's a little different. Mm -hmm. So, now you probably need to explain to your students why you're doing something. Yeah. Okay, so the question of why it was always been there. It's not that it's gone somewhere, but it came later in our lives. But now it probably is at a much earlier, you know, activity. And the other thing was, and I think I should add this, when we learned it was not for performance. It was just a way of life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Today, is... even the parents come mm-hmm. and ask us, when will my son perform? That may be his first class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying anything is right or wrong. I'm just saying that the objectives, there is a certain slight shift. Mm-hmm. And we probably need to bring the old and align with the new.
0: Mm-hmm. So this is a, a, another thing that is, I think maybe... Uh, very characteristic in Carnatic music, especially, and to India, in, to Indian music also to a certain extent. Music, as you said, you use this phrase, which I think I use quite a lot to describe our music. It's a way of life. If you're taught music, like because we grow up with music, like everybody around us is singing all the time, or, you know, whenever there's a festival. Absolutely you sing you have music and even in a folk sense when people are like working in fields or like doing their own thing uh there was music for everything so it it was definitely a way of life more than uh performance art but given that it became a performance art so to say uh what was your first remember what is your first memory of the concert that you attended
2: first okay now Again, there is a bit of an anecdotal thing, which I'm going to say, and of course, Jayashree, I'm going to ask her to do that. There was a big fight in our house where my grandfather took my mother and my father to task. (laughs) Okay. Because I went for my first concert when I was three months old.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs)
2: So they took me to a concert.
0: Coming. There was a
2: great nadaswaram exponent mm-hmm. called Chinna mm-hmm. Maulana Sahab. Huh. Okay. And my father was absolutely mad about his music.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So one fine day, they just decided to take me for that music. And my this is what my father used to tell me. And there was a huge fight at home when they came back. As to how can you do that to a kid Is only three months old? How can you you know, take him along and this is not right and whatever. I mean, but the deal, deal was done. <laughs> so that's probably the way we have grown up. into. And for us, a concert has always been one for having fun when we were young because we would meet some of the kids who were my friends. Yeah. And so we would generally be playing amongst ourselves, but, you know, the music would waft it. Mm-hmm. But that was the same thing, as you rightly said, as a way of life at home too. Yeah. Whether we were studying, whether we were playing, whether we were talking, somebody is singing, somebody is doing things. So Mm -hmm. this concert thing was also something where it was an extension of our lives. And then you had those niceties where you wouldn't want to sit in a place for three hours. (laughs) So you would actually get some chocolates or something like that to be enticed to sit for those two, three hours. So, it, it became a way of life for us to go for a concert. It was really nothing, you know, we, I can't remember having seen which is my first concert. It just happened. But I can tell you one thing, as we grew up on the concert stage, and then I will ask Jayashree to talk about it. Jayashree, if you remember, said we had no recording. So, when we were learning at a some point in time, me or Jayashree, we've never listened to the full concert in our lives. Huh. Because the moment the Raham Tanam Pallavi used to come up, if somebody sang a Raham Tanam Pallavi, the next day when we go to class, we were supposed to repeat. We were supposed to show our sir what was he singing or what was she singing. Hmm. And we were afraid that we will forget.
0: (laughs) Oh, so So, you left the concert after that
2: part. (laughs) Yes. So after the Raham Tanam Pallavi, most of us would vanish because we have to keep remembering that and as I said, there's no nothing to, you know, record. And those days, there were no vehicles to take us from our house to the concert stage. We were all, everybody used to walk. So we would keep walking and keep that in our mind, keep singing over. And we would have probably be four or five of us going together. So, you know, we will, you know, have this, uh, you know, discussion as to what was it. So somebody would say something, something. And then we'll come to a common conclusion. The next day we'd go and present it
0: in the class. Mm-hmm.
2: So, that was another aspect of our concert listening, to listen and to imbibe. Yeah. And there was one which was strictly behind doors, which was not to be discussed outside, was what was it that he did not sing correctly? Mm -hmm. It was not about critiquing or criticizing anybody. It is about ensuring that you don't do the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or that's not the style of our school.
1: Or if you've learned the right way.
2: If you've learned the right way. The other thing was also what is it that he did extremely well?
1: Yeah.
2: What is something unique that he did? All that you had to go and tell your teachers the next day,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and there would be a prize. So that's that's the way we have learned and we have listened to a concert. Yes.
1: Uh, for me too, I don't think I really attended a live concert since I myself started playing concerts.
0: Oh, wow.
1: It is, yeah, it was always uh, Sir's music and whatever we were taught in class. Mm-hmm. My father used to play some uh, pre-recorded cassette recordings at home and we used to listen. He used to listen to a lot of Madhuramaniya here, a year. Uh-huh. So I've kind of grown up listening to that. But it was primarily uh, Sir's uh, playing and singing and his sister, Jampakali, mm-hmm. who also taught uh-huh. us... Uh, the vocal. So it was just them. The memories of a very good concert which I might have started with listening to uh, was one that I remember was Pandit Buddha Ditya Mukherjee. That was, uh, because in Calcutta, you know, there were a lot of more Hindustani concerts happening than carnatic mm-hmm. And I used to have that uh, all-night Doverland music conference Yes, um, concerts and uh, Memories of one of the first concerts that I met attended was of him and uh, the mind boggling Yemen that he played on that oh, day yeah. is absolutely still fresh. <laughs> this in must be memory.
2: about our at least 60 or 50 years, or no, 40 years, not
1: 50 40 years.
0: 40 <laughs> yeah. years, yeah. 40
2: Can you imagine that Yemen is something that we can still remember?
0: 40 years ago, my god.
2: And the other thing about going to concerts for me especially was, as I told you, my teacher, my guru, and my father were friends.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And they would go for a lot of Hindustani music. Mm-hmm. They're great fans of Pandit Bhimshan Joshi, for instance.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: My father was an absolute diehard fan of Bhimshan Joshi. He would do anything to you know, listen to his music. So I remember as a child, I used to go with them. There would be very few Hindustani concerts that they would miss. I see. So I would go with them to listen to those concerts.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: that has had a certain impression in our minds in terms of certain terms of presentation or certain sense of aesthetics.
0: Mm-hmm. It
2: has grown on us from the Hindustani style as well. Mm-hmm. In fact, my uh, sir was a very, very big fan of Hindustani music, though he was a very classically trained Carnatic musician. Sir was, uh,
1: you know, he used to like Nikhil Banerjee a lot.
2: Nikhil Banerjee was his great favorite.
1: Yeah,
2: one of his greatest. Yeah, Pandit Nikhil Banerjee was his great favorite. So my father used to love again, I said, Bhimshan Joshi, Pandit Jasraj. Those days, Pandit Jasraj was a very young man.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So he was like, you know, we used to have those. Doverland music conferences is something that we would never miss. And it used to be, luckily, be held in a place which was probably three, four minutes from where we stayed. That's, that's fascinating. And it used to be held in a huge park hmm. in January. And it used to be really, really cold. <sighs> and during that period, going and sitting there for whole night concerts, so we used to go at about 8 o'clock and come back at about 6 o'clock the next day morning.
1: Yeah, and the Chaiwalas did the most business because seriously staying awake, you had to gulp in uh, yeah. lots of hot chai. Yep.
2: Yeah. So it used to be fun and used to enjoy that. And it became something that we look forward to each year. But perceptibly, what it did to us was to give that sense of aesthetics, which could be coming from both sides. Exactly. Similarly, my sir used to encourage us to listen to a great artist called Sri Neda Nuri Krishna. Mm-hmm he was a classical artist an absolute classical artist so he used to we used to enjoy going and listening to him
0: mm-hmm.
2: okay so the, some of those best uh, you know parts of some classical music from the carnatic as well as hindustani was given to us even from the uh, concert stage and as i said for us our classes were not something that we had to go mm-hmm. they were things that we wanted to be there mm-hmm. Okay, and for us, you know, it was like an extended gurukula system for us. Now, all of us used to be there. All of us friends. We are all, you know, today those friendships carry on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a big okay. way. They're all there. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, you know, you would think people would come and say to each other, how many songs have you learned?
0: Mm-hmm. How many
2: kritis have you learned? But that was never our KPIs. Yeah. Somebody would come and say, oh, I practice for four hours. mm mm-hmm. Somebody you say, I practice for four and a half. <laughs> you know, that was the KPI that we had. So it was a different you sense know, of. The- you're,
0: you're trying to do that to, with your students as well.
2: I- <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> we are. Absolutely.
0: Hindustani music is a lot more prevalent in the Western world, at least uh, compared to the Southern. Music, the Carnatic music. Many people here know about tabla and they know about sitar and they know, oh, Ravi Sharma, oh, Zakir Hussain. You know, uh, they know these people. They know the instruments. And when you say Indian music, a lot of people say Bollywood, which is extremely annoying. But after, Hindustani <laughs> is a, you know, it's the second thing that they say. And nobody has heard about the Mridangar. Nobody has heard about the Veena. When they see pictures of the Veena, they're like, oh, you play the sitar. I'm like, no, I do not play the sitar. Uh, so, yeah. uh, even within India itself, like a lot of North Indians don't know what the Veena is and don't know that this right. whole tradition exists. Why do you think there is this huge uh, separation?
2: In- Absolutely. This? It's a very interesting question. There is a certain sense of, culture attached to this. Mm-hmm. What used to happen, at least in the South Indian Brahminical families, mm-hmm. we had some great artists like Samangudi and you know, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. They were told that you cannot cross the seven seas.
0: Yeah.
2: Period. Whereas, if you take a Ravi Shankar, Pandit Ravi ji, he took it as a missionary zeal to popularize sitar mm-hmm. in the West. Mm-hmm. It was not an easy going for him initially. He had really had to suffer. He had to go and play also in some of the bars and things like that. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine, by, uh, you know, Shambhudi going into a bar? Impossible. In the very word bar is like wow. uh, bard. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no question. So it was basically... And this has got to do with the evolution of music also sometime when required, I will talk about it.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: It's a very cocooned world that the South Indian classical music has lived in and it has lived in that world in a very contended manner. Mm -hmm. There was no strategy of these people to look at it as a means to spread this far and wide. Mm -hmm. It's a very recent development that people are wanting to spread the cause of Carnatic music and make people aware. It mm-hmm. was not there before. In fact, it was very difficult. There are some people used to be looked at. If you go to a person who want to be a disciple, they will really judge you before they open out to you. Mm-hmm. They won't teach you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was too sacrosanct for them. Yeah. They did not mind it being not spread far and wide. mm mm-hmm. They were more interested in ensuring that the pedigree was maintained or, you know, the you know conservative way in which it needs to be played or sung is maintained. Nobody should dilute it. Those were the binding factors of the driving forces. Mm-hmm. Spreading it far and wide and more people should come to know about it was never on their agenda.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So obviously, you know, you would see even before... Before Ravi Shankarji went to the West, people didn't know Sitar. Yeah. It's he went in, he went and, talk, you know, they met with John Lennon and, you know, they had all of that. And that's how, you know, it came up and people started recognizing that as an Indian instrument.
0: Yeah, it's all of, he just you know, did a huge job in propagating Indian music just because he was incidentally playing in the Sitar. Yeah.
2: So not only forget about the U.S., people wouldn't go from the south of the vindhyas to the north of the vindhyas yeah so why us within the country they wouldn't go they were so happy staying in certain aspects of and uh, parts of the country in mm. the southern part of the country they were very cocooned mm. obviously that had its repercussion that's probably one of the biggest reasons. the second thing is it's like old wine okay it grows on you mm mm-hmm. It's not something which is instantly catchy. Yes. Okay. True. It's not instantly catchy. So someone asked, in fact, Pandit Ravi Shankarji, why is it that I cannot appreciate all that you do? So mm. he said, it's taken me 25 years to be where I am now. Yeah. If you can do that in 25 minutes, then all my 25 years of labor is gone waste.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So there is a certain sense of imbibing that music, getting used to that music. It grows on you. Mm. That takes time. Yeah. Okay, obviously, that's not a recipe for instant popularity. So I feel these are two very important reasons why there is a limited exposure to our music.
0: And do you think now we are changing a little bit as a community of Carnatic musicians?
2: We are are changing, we are diluting, yes.
0: (laughs) So that brings me to this other more abstract question, maybe.
1: What are your thoughts about music as an art in general? Music is definitely an art like any other art. So music should, you know, actually come in search of you than you going and trying to uh, grab it by its horns. And like you do a painting or any other uh, form of art, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it is your own expression which comes to the fore. Mm -hmm. What you want to express through music is actually your own personality. Yes. Isn't it? Absolutely. Well, thank you for being here. Um,
2: thank you. Our pleasure. Absolute pleasure. It's a, it's a wonderful thing that you're doing. Keep it up. And we wish you all the very best. Thank
0: you. That was the Veena couple, Jashri and JT Jairaj Krishnan talking to us about Carnatic music and the Veena. To listen to more of their music, log on to veenajj.com that is dot com. For more references about what we discussed in our podcast today, log on to our webpage, ninadamusic.blogspot.com Make sure you follow us on our Facebook page or our Twitter account or our Instagram account for updates. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time.